the old pilot's plain tales. Today, the final part of the Ian Palmer interviews, part four. Ian, lovely to see you again. Thanks very much uh, indeed for joining me for what I think will probably be our final interview. It's a privilege. It's a real pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Just to remind you, uh, we finished up last time with you very much in the driving seat with regards to your drinking problem, but now facing another problem, possibly even more serious. Can you talk us through that? Of course. So, as as you said, the alcohol situation to all intents and purposes now was I have a program of recovery so and I'm enjoying it and life is life is good uh, however I then went on a trip to Barbados and I remember flying over thinking yeah all's good we're gonna go to uh, sit on the beach for a little while I think I had a simulator session coming up and I was gonna do a bit of studying uh, for that one and I remember flying the approach and it was uh, it's a beautiful day there as it usually is a few cbs around in the afternoon but you know nothing untowards landing on the easterly runway there we get onto the ils and it felt a bit hot and clammy didn't feel particularly great didn't say anything and this was one of the first times i'd flown the airbus a330 previous i do i was making the transition from the a340 so we landed the aeroplane and as soon as we touched down i have to say it wasn't heavy landing but i saw two runways and also the world went at a sort of a slight angle and i naturally instinctively pressed the rudder pedal to go towards what i thought was the runway and i would the uh the my colleague at the time said whoa i have control took control of the aeroplane stopped the aeroplane pulled off the runway and uh, said are you okay and i was picked up the gas bag off the seat and I was violently sick and uh, it was so hot and clammy there when we landed as well as hot and clammy but it's so hot that uh, as we pulled on to stand um, my friend who I was flying with he was like gagging as well he was he was going to be sick because of the smell it was awful it was horrible so um, anyway we pulled on to stand we let the cabin crew know that or he let the cabin crew know that I wasn't very well it was decided to disembark the passengers first of all we then got um, some medical assistance and I was really 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 ill Um, I hung around had a glass of water and bit slowly over the course of about an hour it all started to I think the crew went to the hotel on the crew bus and myself and the captain stayed behind in a taxi I went in the taxi um, a little when I felt a bit better but he was really concerned about me and really looked after me and I went to the hotel and it was decided that they couldn't do really do anything for me but what had actually happened well they flew me I flew back to London I then went to see the my GP who said, well, that's, and it, I felt better by this stage. I, I, it kind of, st- the, I guess the double vision uh, hung around for a, you know, maybe a day or so, uh, and then it subsided. So I was fine by the time I got home. I saw my GP, he said, let's, I'm going to send you to a specialist. Now, what you have to bear in mind, this is the second time that I'd had an experience like this. Oh, really? Yeah, so what had happened was, it turns out that I had a 20 millimeter benign tumor in the midbrain. So anyone that knows about sort of geography of the head, if you like, um, this tumor was lying in the third ventricle, very close to the pineal gland. And I believe it was attached to the cerebellum. 
uh, the back of the head. So whilst the tumor itself was a very, very nice tumor, in as much as it grew very slowly, they could contain it, you can monitor it, it's very difficult to get to because it required you to either go through the top of the head here, which if you went through the top of my head straight down between both sides of the brain, then the chances of getting epilepsy, I would have said, were probably a million percent. Um, so, of course, that's not really going to work for flying. Um, but happily, the tumour was below the ear line. So the good news there is that there was no chance of epilepsy. Um, so my it's become a friend now, Professor Cruikshank, went into my head, through the back of my head, over the top of the cerebellum and into the third ventricle that way and removed... Um, well, basically the upshot of it was is that I went for surgery to remove a brain tumour. Now, when I got my initial class one medical at the start of my flying career, um, this was also something that was identified then. Oh, really? So it was always something which could potentially come back. And I remember then that it was all came from the fact that I'd had an audiogram as part of the initial class one medical and I'd lost a little bit of hearing in my right ear. So I was sent for a, uh, basically see an ear, nose and throat specialist who said to me, uh, you need to have an MRI scan, but I think it's a bit of a waste of time because you're a drummer and it's going to be noise induced hearing loss. So this was actually identified as something that perhaps I was born with. So this tumor was removed in 2000 before I went to college uh, to do my flying career as one of the requirements. And then it came back 15 years later. And this flight had been growing slowly, but it had grown to the point where the Basically, the optic, optic nerve was being distorted from the inside, which is where this double vision situation came from, or it had some effects on that. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it was pretty um, pretty complicated to, to get to it. So I'd be eternally grateful to Professor Cruikshank, and I'm now not only on the recovery side of the alcoholic condition, but I'm now involved um, with people recovering from brain tumors and part of a brain tumor charity now which um, is very close to my um, close to my head so well that's brilliant now i gather that the operation went quite well but you actually had some complications after yeah so the op the operation was uh, professor crookshank said to me at the initial consultation he said ian um we can remove this now the, the clever thing here was that professor crookshank is on the advisory board for the caa and actually the DVLA for car licensing. But he's really involved with the CAA, so he had sort of allayed their fears and said, no, we can get to it, we can sort it out, don't worry about it. It's not a career-ending issue. This is a benign tumour that we can remove, and if all goes well, Ian can resume his flying career. So that was always the plan. But what he did say to me was that, Ian, you're in for turbulent water with this situation, and this is not something which is going to be pleasant it's not going to be a walk in the park and it really wasn't because I had to learn to walk again I had to learn to effectively write well my writing has changed as a result of this now some of the fine movement um, so but it's effectively now the upshot of that is that you know I've worked really hard I had two years off work one year to recover and what I will say is that the initial surgery will still 
seemed to go okay. I got to the point in hospital seven days after surgery where my brain started to swell and I started to lose my vision. I started to lose um, sense of touch. So all of my senses were breaking down here. So Professor Cruikshank came back very quickly, but the person who helped me initially was a respiratory physio. And that respiratory physio is Kirsty, who is now my fiance. Which is a lovely story. Wow, isn't um, that brilliant? Yeah, but I, I will say that there was no sort of uh, medical um, rules broken there in as much as I did contact her on Facebook four months after I left hospital. But um, anyway, we sort of went from there. So yeah, we now share a house on the outskirts of London, uh, which is which is fantastic. So Kirsty really helped me through that. And of course, that's why she never knew anything about my past regarding any sort of alcohol or, or issues there. But what this really does, it really, again, it really focused me on what's important in life. And I remember with my musical career, um, just before this surgery, I played a concert with one of my absolute heroes. And this person's name is Steve Gadd, who's one of the finest drummers in the world. He's probably the most influential drummer ever. Um, He's played with lots of uh, famous people. He plays regularly now with James Taylor and Eric Clapton. And I remember Steve saying to me, "Um, Ian, what's the most important thing? And I said, well, that's my flying career, because that's where it's my income. He said, no. So I thought, okay, it's probably a test here. It must be my musical career. That's my most important thing. He said, no, the most important thing is don't drink. Wow. The most important thing is don't drink. If you don't drink, everything will be fine. And how right he was, because he's, has, it's no secret, but he's been through a similar uh, path to me, a similar experience. So the brain surgery and the experience of losing my parents and what all that culminated in really does change your life and it's made me not just serious about life it's made me extremely serious about life in a very positive way i'm sure absolutely absolutely and i've gone on now to yeah, music is great. I can now return to my musical career. Oh, that's fantastic. In, Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, that's happening in and around my um, my flying. So I had a band which um, achieved um, a, a, some success, a band called The Ghosts, which was a band which I'd put together and uh, was involved in the formation of that band. It was my idea. And that had a, a single which uh, went to number eight in the British charts, oh, which, was, uh, which was amazing. And um, most recently, I have um, been involved with recording music for films. And I've been involved with the soundtracking of uh, Tomb Raider. Um, so then I've, this was a basically an album which has been recorded for Peter Connolly, who was the original writer of the Tomb Raider soundtracks. Um, So this is for the forthcoming uh, movie, but it's also a CD, and it's also, you can listen to it on Spotify. It's called uh, Tomb Raider, Raider, a Dark Angel Symphony. I think you'll be able to let us have use that little piece of that music for an intro and outro. Absolutely, that'd be a privilege. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and uh, of course there is a, the concert that you hold annually uh, the world's greatest drummers yeah the world's greatest drummer and you, you can see this was a name that i came up with 
pre-coming into recovery, and I was certainly not alluding to myself as the world's greatest drummer, but <laughs> actually what it was is a tribute to somebody known as the world's greatest drummer, and, or who was known as the world's greatest drummer, and that was Buddy Rich. So it's grown and grown, this concert, and we've done 10 of these concerts now over the last, well, 14, 13, 14 years. And everyone has been just just amazing. And what happens is we have a full big band, which is largely members of the BBC Radio Big Band. And we get together in a beautiful theatre. The last concert was held at the Derngate Theatre in Northampton, which holds around 900 people. Yeah. And we had um, so this concert that I was referring to with Steve Gadd. That was probably my proudest moment on stage because Steve is someone that I've really looked up to since I was a child as a musician, since I was involved, my early teens at least. And uh, the opportunity to play alongside Steve was amazing. But then there's also my friend Steve White, who performs with us, who maybe some of the listeners or um, viewers will know Steve through his work with Paul Weller. And uh, he brother played with the um, band Oasis. Yes, certainly heard of him. Uh, so he's in a different style. Yeah, and then there was also Pete Cater, who's my dear friend, who actually, um, strangely enough, was born uh, about a mile away from where I was born in Sutton Coalfield. Oh, small and, world. But, yeah, but Pete has gone on to be um, probably the best-known big band drummer in in Europe. And uh, he's in great demand as a teacher and as always we could say an educator and uh, and a session musician. So your life is really good now. Life is very different to, you know, those dark days. And um, as I, you know, as I say then, you know, my worst, my worst days sober are infinitely better than my best days drinking. (laughs) That's fantastic to hear. And your aviation career continues to blossom. Uh, you're in a yeah. training role now, aren't you? Yeah. So it's gone it's, it's gone from strength to strength. And this is not something that I've acti- actively pushed. But one of the things, you know, I guess this is the, the perfectionist streak that we all tend to have as aviators. But I had uh, applied for a job as what we call a training first officer. And it's, you know, it's lovely to stand in front of people, impart knowledge. And, and one of the things this really does is forces you to really know your subject as well. And, and also in the course of teaching, people ask you questions. So it does encourage you to, uh, to, to know more about what you're talking about. So from there, I was then offered the opportunity to become a, an Airbus A330 TRI tight rating instructor so now I run simulator sessions for crews within my company and it's just again that's a really privileged position because you're sitting behind pilots now watching them and you know as we say we're politely throwing the hand grenades in and letting them deal with it and it's interesting to see the different approaches and that is the privileged seat where you can learn such a lot. And the last thing I did within my airline was I went for uh, what we call the CAP, the dreaded CAP, which stands for Command Assessment Process. And this was a, it's probably the most stressful, apart from the uh, instrument rating test, this is probably the most stressful um stressful test that I've ever done and what happened was I showed up there they gave me uh, 
next to no fuel. They put me in a simulator next to no fuel, put me in a holding pattern near New York's Kennedy Airport, going round and round in circles. They told me that Kennedy Airport is closed until further notice. That didn't matter because the cabin crew, the person rang up and said, um, Ian, um, we've got a problem. Uh, one of the passengers has gone into cardiac arrest. Uh, of course, this is all simulated, but this is the sort of pressure that they put you under. So I thought, flipping out, okay, so I'm watching this fuel drain away. So, okay, well, mayday, 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 let's go and fly. We've got to fly the approach. So we sort the airplane out, we're ready for the approach. But as soon as I requested for the first stage of flap, uh, we lost uh, on the Air, in Airbus what we, we call it the green hydraulic system. So we lost all the fluid from the green hydraulic system, which then meant we had to break off the approach, have to go through all of the um, cockpit procedures. And it was really one of those. Are we going to succumb to the pressure of the fact that a passenger is having a heart attack and put another 200 passengers under risk? you know, with flying a gash approach? Or am I going to say no, I'm going to take the time and sort this out. Also mindful of the fact that the fuel is draining away very quickly. So anyway, the upshot was that, um, yeah, I flew an approach onto an inter relatively interwind runway onto 13 left and ILS and they stopped it just short of the touchdown point and said, yeah, congratulations. So from there on, they invite you to do an interview. The interview was um, well, that was pretty difficult as well. They ask you to go through a flight from A to B. You get on the aeroplane. This happens. What are you going to do? You have this uh, MEL uh, item to look at before you can dispatch. What are you going to do? Okay, so you have this item. You have some icing conditions. You taxi out. Okay, you're now below uh, the minimum fuel for takeoff. What are you going to do? Okay, you get airborne. You lose a navigation system. What are you going to do? So is that sort of scenario uh, or several scenarios um, but it's really testing so that was the last thing I did so I'm just you know, hoping now at some point we get to do a, a command course and that will really be uh, the icing on the cake then to achieve my command to be a training pilot and I'll think look back and I'll think flipping out that was quite a rough bumpy road but the most important thing is we got there a rough, bumpy road would be one of the things I would attribute to your entire life. But uh, I can see in you the qualities that will make it uh, smooth for the future. So thank you very much indeed for uh, talking to us uh, today. I, I, I'm sure oh. all our listeners would love to know how they can uh, find some more information about you uh, and particularly your music in. Uh, how could they do that? Absolutely. So, the, of course, being a musician, the social media thing is, is very active. So on Instagram, you can find me at Ian Palmer Drums. At Twitter, it's also Ian Palmer Drums. And I have a Facebook, um, two Facebook pages, my personal one, Ian Palmer Drums, and also an artist page, which is Ian Palmer Drummer. And of course, there's also my own website, um, ianpalmer.com. Well, I'm sure they'll find something there uh, to uh, enjoy. And I really look forward to visiting them uh, all myself. Uh, so only remains for me to thank you very much indeed for giving us your time uh, and being so open and honest uh, with us. It's been a remarkable story. And of course, for myself and all the listeners, we wish you all the good fortune in the rest of your life, flying and music. Oh, thank you, Nick. It's my pleasure. pleasure and it's great to speak to you. Thanks, thanks a lot for asking me along. After my many years in the world of aviation, there aren't many people I have met who would be willing to open up their lives in the way that Ian has done. And in doing so, my regard and respect for him 
has done nothing but grow. Should anyone listening feel that they want to seek out Ian to ask him for his help or advice, then please contact him at ian at ianpalmer.com I-A-N-P-A-L-M-E-R Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com